0: Yeah, and you do need that person in your life who's gonna ground you. It's kind of like when you go through disordered eating, you almost are wearing these blinders on both sides of your eyes, and all you can see is ahead of you and like what's on your plate and the person that you're trying to replicate because they're so healthy and all these messages, and you're only looking at those types of messages and not the bigger picture. And then you need that person to just rip those blinders off and be like, open your eyes and look around the room like look at how you feel look at how everyone else feels there are other ways to be healthy and happy than having a plate that only has spinach and carrots on it you know
1: hi there and welcome to the let's thrive podcast my name is emily feichels and i started this page to inspire educate and empower any who listen Like most people, I'm a curious soul and love to chat with my guests on all things health, wellness, spirituality, entrepreneurship, and so much more. I hope you'll stick around for a time or two, and with that said, let's thrive. Hi there, and welcome back to the Let's Thrive podcast. I'm your host, Emily Fichels, and I'm happy as always to have you here tuning in. And if you hear some scuffling in the background... That is my very large dog trying to get comfortable behind me in my cramped little office space. Today we have a very good episode. It's covers a lot of topics, and it's very near and dear to my heart. We really get personal with this one, but there's lots of laughs sprinkled throughout. But before we get to that, I just wanted to do like some life updates, because I realized I hadn't done this in a while, and if you're new to the podcast, or even if you're a seasoned listener, it's... I don't know, maybe you're interested in learning. So, I've recently taken on a waitressing job because as I'm growing the podcast and working on just developing a brand, I obviously have more and more expenses coming in, and since I finally feel healthy enough in the last year of my health troubles to work, I decided that the most lucrative way to make money while also having time to do my own thing would be waitressing, which it really is because... I found a nice place to work and it's $5 an hour, which is good for waitressing. And then the tips are very good. So it's, I mean, it is very lucrative and it's the best way for me to do time and work and make money while honoring my other side work. So that's new. Let's see. I've also been I don't know I know it's like I don't know it's some mercury and retrograde something going on with the astrological sense and I was definitely feeling that and I had a couple rough like two three weeks and I know a lot of you on Instagram reached out you were feeling that as well it seemed like a universal issue <laughs> but I'm happy to say that I now feel as though I'm coming on the other side of that it was almost like this one night I just had a really bad night I mean, I I just, you know, had some very low self-esteem, and I was exhausted, and I was overeating emotionally, and I just, this one night, I was like, I need to figure this out, like, why am I feeling all these ways, and I don't know, I woke up the next morning, and it was just like I had this clear vision of, like, everything that was upsetting my life, and how to remedy that in a good way. And so since then, I've been working through all those emotions that came up, and I have to say, like, I feel great. I mean, I don't know what it, what it is exactly. Maybe you've been feeling that too, but whatever it is in the astrological sense. I'm also planning some travel for 2020, so if you live somewhere and you want me to come visit that area and you're willing to let me stay with you to help a girl save some money, hit me up. You know, I'm willing to go anywhere. I'm looking at visiting Denver, Chicago, Portland, Oregon, Portland, Maine, San Diego, anywhere in California, want to hit Texas again, Arizona, Florida. Like I said, I'm really willing to go anywhere because Travel is travel, and that's where I learn the most about me, so if you have any recommendations, let me know. If you have an extra bed, I would be very appreciative. Even a couch, hey! (laughs) Or, you know what? I've had some people reach out as well to plan travel with me, and I appreciate that because you guys know me well enough to know that if you say, hey Emily, do you want to go on this trip? Heck yes, I will. And you know what? Traveling with others saves money, so... If you want a travel companion once more, hit me up. So, beyond that, there's not much new going on in my life that I can discuss right now. There's a few top secret projects I'm working on, but you guys will get to hear about those soon enough. Ugh, my dog's kicking me. He's such a spoiled brat. Does anybody else's dog have like the worst attitude of just being like a queen, or in this case, a king? Drives me nuts. So, on to today's episode with my dear friend, and just the sweetest soul, bubbly person I know, my friend from the Instagram, Sammy Brooke. Well, okay, I'm going to be honest here, and Sammy, if you're listening, I hope you understand. So her Instagram is at underscore Sammy Brooke, which I'll have linked below, but also on her Instagram, she has the name Sammy Tatarski. I believe is how you pronounce it. And sadly, I did not realize before recording this intro that I never realized which one is her current last name, so we're going to refer to her as Sammy, and I sincerely apologize. Clearly, I do not have my ish together today. (laughs) So today's conversation is about a bunch of things. We start out discussing anxiety and how it is very unique to everybody, but how Sammy has a rather unique start of it beginning for her in elementary school, which I found fascinating because I've never talked to someone who experienced anxiety from that early on. So we discuss what it was like having anxiety that young, uh, going through therapy, how it affected her school life, her friend life, how she learned to self-soothe and cope with it being so young, and this leads us right into her later years, into college, where she's confronted with the diet culture in college, which is so horrible. And you'll hear us go on a little rampage about how horrible it is. And if you're in college right now and you're being exposed to this stuff, like, you'll appreciate this episode because it might open your eyes to things that you didn't even realize were affecting and influencing you. And in that, we discuss about Her journey with, you know, disordered eating and fear foods and exercise addiction and how she reclaimed her life and how she finally stepped out of it rather recently with the news that she's pregnant. And this is not the first person I've talked to that said that, you know, when they found out they were pregnant, that was really the aha moment of, wow, I need to heal my relationship with food and my body because I'm growing a, you know, child so she's really so she's really a good example of how I don't know how to you know look outside yourself to see a reason to recover if that makes sense and in this we discuss just different trauma from past and as I mentioned before her journey with therapy which leads us to discussing EMDR therapy which is something I have done and Sammy has learned about in school which leads me to walk you through my experience with using EMDR therapy to treat PTSD. I will admit that we recorded this episode a couple weeks ago when I was still doing the therapy. However, I've since quit because the woman that I was, you know, that was administrating the EMDR therapy, great woman, but she just did not connect with me. And I, so I just decided after a few sessions. that Although I love the modality of therapy, she was just not the right woman. So I'm still on the search for that, but I do suggest that you try it out if it's something you're interested in, or if you have any questions, just let me know and I can, you know, really talk to you about it. So I just want you to remember that, you know, in this episode we discuss a lot, and if it relates to you, that's great. If it doesn't, that's fine. Maybe someone you know is going through this, And if there was like one message I'd want you to get from this episode, it's the idea that, that sometimes, you know, life does get too heavy to carry on your shoulders. It's like carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. And sometimes you fall to your knees. And a lot of the times what happens is two things happen. People fall down and they stay down or they fall down and they get right back up again. And they're a little dizzy in the world. And I've done both. I've fallen down and not been able to get up for the longest, longest time. And I've fallen down and I've gotten up way too quickly, pushing the trauma behind me and then kind of walking through the world dizzy and not really knowing what I'm doing. And so what I want you to remember is that take, take that knee, go down, fall down to your knees and, you know, let, let the feelings course through you, but then get back up. When the time is right. And no one can tell you when that is. Something you've got to learn for yourself. So just carry that with you through this episode. Through life. Everywhere you go. Get it tattooed on your forearm. No, I'm joking. Much too long for a tattoo. Let's get a shorter motto, eh? But if you like this episode, go ahead. Share it on your Instagram stories. You can tag me at thrive underscore on life. You can tag Sammy at, at underscore Sammy Brooke, and that is S-A-M-M-I-B-R-O-O-K-E. Truly hope you guys enjoy this, relate, whatnot. And without further ado, here is Sammy. Well, how has your weekend been with the apple picking and everything?
0: Oh, it was so fall, even though it feels like the middle of the summer with like 85 degrees. I'm like sweating as I'm picking apples. I'm like, I gotta look cute for the Instagram. (laughs) I I know. I should have worn a dress. <laughs> Summer.
1: <laughs> I did like a just like a small fun photo shoot thing with a friend of mine here yesterday, and I had all these cute fall outfits planned. And I step outside, I was
0: like, ah, <laughs> this weather is ruining my vibe. I know, seriously. Like, I hate the cold weather, but I love like the in between. Mm-hmm. So I hate myself that like I'm wishing away this warm weather because. We only get the good weather for like two weeks and then it's like winter. (laughs) Yep,
1: exactly. Yeah, I know. East coast weather for you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I know this has been a rigmarole to get set up, but I appreciate you (laughs) still willing to do it and I'm so so excited. Would you mind just introducing who you are, name and everything so people get an idea of who you are and then we'll jump into... topic of today's actual episode.
0: Yes, so I am Sammy from Sammy Brook. Formerly it was Akai or die, but I changed my name. We'll get to that later. (laughs) Um, I started my account as Smoothie Bowls and that kind of was like at the point of my eating disorder that I didn't really realize I had an eating disorder. And then it transformed into Sammy Brook when I was transforming in my own self, like my emotional, mental self. Um, And I didn't want to identify with smoothie bowls anymore, (laughs) even though they're still a big part of my life.
1: (laughs) I love it. So something that we connected on via Instagram, and what I really wanted to bring you on today about is your journey with anxiety, which I assume has to do with that transition. You know, I'm, I'm sure it plays its part in the journey you were just discussing. So yeah. you know, my first question is, when was the first time you experienced anxiety?
0: I was in first grade. It was actually from 9-11. I was in first grade. I had no idea like what it meant that a plane crashed into a building. I couldn't comprehend it, but I just knew that it was something bad that happened. And I started having fears of, like, I wouldn't let my parents keep the garage door open. I was constantly, like, obsessively checking if the doors were locked because I thought, like, a bad person was going to come to my house. Um, And then in second grade, my great-grandma died. And I think that just was, like, the last trigger I needed. And I had a panic attack watching Monsters, Inc., (laughs) trying to go to sleep. I ran into my mom's room, and I was like, I'm not breathing. I can't feel my heartbeat. And she was like, well, if you're talking to me, you're breathing. (laughs) And, um, that I kind of labeled the breathing thing. When I get anxious, I feel like I can't breathe. So I was really young when I started feeling anxiety and I had no idea what any of it meant. And I started seeing a therapist twice a week when I was, I guess I was six or seven at that point. Um, because I wouldn't leave my mom's side. I was convinced that if she left me, I was going to die. Like I just, I didn't, I wasn't processing all these like crazy events that were happening. Um, yeah. So that's the first time I can remember having it. I don't know if I was like an anxious kid before it. I think it's kind of in my DNA. (laughs) <laughs> did they
1: tell you back then that this is anxiety you're dealing with? Like that night you ran into your mom's room. Did she say, like, calm down, it's this is just anxiety? Or what did, did you guys have
0: a term you used for it? So I had no idea, but my mom told me later on, like, I mean, honestly, she told me in like college that that night she had actually called my therapist who I was going to be seeing. I didn't know him yet. Um, because my parents had been meeting with him because they were concerned with my behaviors. And then finally they were like, okay, she needs to go to therapy. But I ran into her room and I said, you need to call the doctor. And she said, it's nine o'clock. There's no one there. I said, I know someone's on call. You're going to call the doctor right now. (laughs) I'm like pacing in circles. And so I think she's on the phone with the doctor. And she just said, the doctor said, you're fine. And she kind of just calmed me down. And then when I was brought to therapy, my therapist explained, like, sometimes we feel really nervous about things. And I started to, it was, a, it was a learning process, like, as a young child, like, about myself. I started learning, like, okay, when I feel tingly or when I can't breathe, I'm nervous. So I, I always labeled it as, like, the breathing thing. I'm nervous. I'm nervous about something. I don't know if I fully comprehended. I had like an anxiety disorder until I was in sixth grade. That's when it triggered, when I got really bad again. And then I was old enough to comprehend that term.
1: Okay. So when you were before sixth grade and before you had a term for it, you would just kind of feel, I'm nervous. I have these physical things coming on so what would you do to calm yourself down or were you not able to self-soothe at that point
0: I had this is like really weird my mom had this bracelet that had a clasp and my therapist told me like to get the anxious energy out of my body like just hold something else that will take your mind off of it so I would open and close her clasp constantly when I felt nervous And that's actually something that I apply in the classroom now. I'm a student teacher and I was a teaching aid for two years. So I can tell when kids are getting a little nervous and you have to be like attuned to that and just know like if they need to get up and walk around the classroom for a few minutes, let them get that nervous energy out. A lot of anxiety for me is so physical. So like for me, it was always doing something with my hands to like take my mind off of it and just telling myself, I know what this is now. I can label it and I know I'm going to be okay.
1: So you said in sixth grade was when you kind of got triggered again and things started to kind of pick up in pace. Do you have a particular memory of what caused that to pop up all of a sudden? (laughs) Okay. Do you mind sharing?
0: (laughs) So in fifth grade, it was our last week of school and we were practicing our graduation, and the kid next to me, I won't say his name, but I will never forget him. He, I guess it was a really hot day, and he fainted and flipped off the stage, and I had never heard of somebody fainting before. I didn't know what it was, so I'm standing there thinking, oh my God, a kid just died right next to me. So all of a sudden, I had this panic, and I raised my hand. All the teachers are tending to him, obviously, There was one teaching aide who came over to me and I said, can I go get water? And instead of going to the water fountain, I ran to the office and I was like, call my mom. I'm having an anxiety attack. She's like, sit down. We have to call his mom first. (laughs) There's more important things here. And I, that was also the day of our Olympic day. I stayed for Olympic day and then I went to the nurse and I told her my stomach hurt and I think she knew what was going on. And she called my mom, and I don't even think I really finished fifth grade. Like, I, those last few days, I think I just went to work with my mom. I was, like, so triggered. Um, so, yeah, that was huge for me. And I tried to go to sleepaway camp that summer, came home after seven days, because I was just not mentally ready for that. Um, and then sixth grade, it, it was just the whole year was, like, therapy, just dealing with always being afraid I'm going to faint or something bad's going to happen to me. I like, I'm the kind of anxious person who, if I see something bad happen, or I process something is dangerous. I'm like, oh, that's going to happen to me. And I kind of stick on that. So
1: you're going to therapy. What were your thoughts on it as a kid? Did you did you like it? Or were you a kid like me, who I went to like, two sessions and said, I'm not going, like, you can't make me go to this anymore. What were you like back then?
0: I, I just like love talking. So <laughs> I loved it. Like I was like a whole hour of just talking. I loved it like for me personally, but I was like very embarrassed by it when I was a kid. Like I didn't really tell my friends that I went to therapy because I thought that I would be some like weird loser. Like you go to therapy, like what is that? You know, and I mean, maybe other kids my age were going to therapy and I wasn't aware of it, or maybe it's become more of a thing in the last, like, 10 years, I think. Just mental health awareness has become more prevalent, so kids talk about it more, maybe. But I was always kind of, like, a little ashamed by it. Towards Like, I just didn't talk about it with my friends.
1: Yeah, I mean, even nowadays, I feel there's still – quite a bit of stigma attached to it, depending on where you live. I will put that out there. It definitely depends on where you live. So I can't imagine. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, I was in speech therapy and that was such a shameful thing for me. Like, you know, at first it didn't seem like a big deal. Then you get to be, you know, like later elementary, you go to middle school and suddenly it's, I, I had, I was lying, you know, I would lie about where I was going and everything. Cause I didn't want anybody to know I was in speech therapy, which I mean, like you said, it just, it's something that regular therapy, speech therapy, physical therapy, like whatever you want to do, yeah. <laughs> there shouldn't be a stigma or judgment attached to it. Like you're just working to better yourself. And oftentimes it's not a choice either. I mean, I was like forced yeah. to go to speech therapy and you didn't I really, think yeah. was like a
0: time where you started feeling like ashamed and like where I started feeling like, I'm not going to tell my friends that's like a time in your life where just like psychologically you start to become so self-conscious, like just so self-aware of who, like yourself and your, your tween teen years are just so awkward. Like you're just always worried someone's going to judge you or think that you're weird and you just kind of want to fit in and not be different. And yeah, I mean, I just don't think that it was something that was really spoken about when we were kids, at least, I don't know how it is these days, but with social media, I definitely think that like the stigma is breaking definitely where you live, probably more urban, like city areas. I think that it's just a normal thing. Everyone's like, oh yeah, my therapist said, you know, (laughs) but yeah, it was definitely a point of shame for me when I was growing up. So, going forward a f- few years, what was it like in high school? Because
1: that's when, you know, I had a lot of shame about all kinds of things. That's when disordered eating came into the picture for me. So, going forward a few years, what was it like going into high school with this anxiety and the beginnings of self consciousness around therapy? What were those years like for you?
0: So, I went like in and out of therapy in high school. I wasn't as consistent with it because I think at that point, I had been to therapy for so many years that I had the tools to work through. But then if I had something just like if I just had a lot going on that year, I'd be like, you know what? I need to talk about it. But I did notice in high school that my my anxiety stopped me from doing a lot of things. Like I was always really afraid to drink. I was terrified of throwing up. Um I'm really claustrophobic. I never wanted to go to concerts. Like if I went to a concert, I had a panic attack and like, I was like, I'm leaving the crowd. Bye. <laughs> like, I I noticed that I was different than a lot of my friends. So while I wasn't in therapy as consistently in high school, my anxiety did inhibit me a lot and just like test anxiety. I just always had like a feeling of unease. And I was like, why don't my friends feel this way? But my disordered eating didn't start until college I actually had the opposite like I hated my body I was like a twig I I was like no boys like me I have no curves I just want to grow boobs <laughs> Like so I had the opposite in high school I would like purposely try to eat to gain weight and I just like couldn't but dance was a huge outlet for me it was always I could go into dance feeling, like, stressed out, anxious, and I'd come out feeling just, like, like, I can breathe, you know? So, that was, like, a big part of my high school, of balancing it in high school.
1: So, you used the physical relief of dance to ease your anxiety? Because
0: I, yeah. Okay. Because I was, but it's also kind of artistic, like, you know, Like Mm -hmm. I loved like doing the lyrical, the modern contemporary because those songs are just so deep and you can feel, you can work through your emotions in it. I love that. Yeah. Because I think for me, you know, I was kind of
1: opposite of you in that. I just, I didn't realize what I had was, you know, it wasn't insane. It wasn't probably as severe as your anxiety. I don't know. I, I try not to put you know, labels or limitations on trauma, anxiety, stress, any of that, because we're all Mm -hmm. individual. But I definitely think I was feeling anxiety back then. And the way that I kind of fell hard was that I used exercise as like an anxiety relief without really realizing it, you know, it was like, yeah, I wanted to slow my thoughts down. So let's go run X amount of miles every single day so that I was too exhausted to have those circuits cyclical
0: cycle yeah <laughs> cycle of thoughts that's what i'm trying to say so i can totally relate to that cuz yeah. i did that in college okay but i don't okay. think i like i don't even think i like knew that i could do that in high school yet i hadn't figured it out but then when i figured it out i did that too yeah and it,
1: it just becomes a cycle of exercise addiction because you know there are some dis- there are some body image issues in there there are some disordered eating in there and you have this mix of you know, every day I had to work out to either relieve the un- unknown about anxiety to correct my poor body image or to, f- you know, feed the bad thoughts coming at me from my disordered eating. So it was this, oh, this horrible cycle I got caught into. And just this past year, I've started to find the other modalities of handling anxiety. So, but I am curious, you said you fell into that in college. What was like, and you said you also fell into disordered eating then. Where did that all really start? Like was there a, a moment in time that you remember, like the shift off?
0: So I started off college in Buffalo, which is like six and a half hours from where I live, and my mom was like, Do not go. You know yourself. You're not gonna to want to be that far from home. But my now husband, but then boyfriend was there and his brother was there. And it just, to me, I was like, I would feel more at home knowing that I had two like really secure people there for me. And I think that I just, college is just so stressful. Like it, you're the transition between high school to college is so weird because you go from having this like, really close group of friends and like you know every teacher in the school and then you go home and you have your parents there as a support system so you never feel like alone and then you go to college and you don't know anybody besides i knew my boyfriend um you don't know anybody and you don't know who you can trust yet and the professors it's like you're in these like giant lecture halls they don't know you you have like this whole new Sense of responsibility, and I started feeling really out of control. And I remember everyone making a huge deal like, I don't want to gain the freshman 15. So that was like a big thing. I have like a type A personality. So I'm like, when I set my mind to something, I will go to the extreme to get that goal met. So I'm like, I don't want to gain this freshman 15, and I need to feel in control of my life. So I remember in like that, probably the end of September, I stepped on my roommate's scale and I had gained six pounds. Now, mind you, I was 98 pounds going into college, not intentionally, just like I hadn't really hit puberty. Like I was just a very tiny person. Um, and so when I saw that the scale moved that way, I was like, oh my God, I'm out of control. I, I freaked out. I like, I didn't look at myself in the mirror the same way, literally seconds passed and I all of a sudden changed in the mirror, you know, like my legs look different and my face looked different. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to track what I eat on my phone. Like not even in an app, I'll just write it down. So I know I'm having breakfast, lunch, snack, dinner, maybe another snack. And that's it. And that was started innocently and became an obsession. Then I found the MyFitnessPal app and every week, like, you know, my calories would just decrease, 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 So I was like, okay, I'm gonna maintain. No, this week I'm gonna lose a pound. I wanna lose another pound. Like, and it became like a monster. And then I was like really hungry. <laughs> so I was like, how am I gonna eat more? And the only way I could think of eating more was to exercise. So I started going to the gym And that was just like 30 minutes a day. Again, started innocently. And I would log that in and I'd be like, great. I have another 200 calories I can eat today. Like, I won't go to bed hungry tonight, which is so messed up. But I didn't recognize it then. And when you're in college and you're around other girls, they also are like, they feel the pressure to look a certain way. So it's kind of reinforced by the whole culture that you're around. I went home the summer between freshman and sophomore year, my exercise addiction just, like, increased, 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 and I didn't recognize it, and then I went back to school sophomore year, and that is when shit hit the fan, like, I was, I had to exercise for 81 minutes on the elliptical every day, I don't know why that number, but, like, I had to do 81 minutes, and I had to eat the same thing every day, and, like, I counted my calories. And if I hit over a thousand, I had like a mental breakdown. And that is when I was like, Whoa, there's something wrong and I can't control it. So it's like this weird thing of like, I felt out of control. So I needed to have coping mechanisms through my eating disorder, but then my eating disorder was getting out of control. So it made me feel more out of control. Um, And then I voiced to my mom, like, there's something wrong. And I ended up going home like for the next semester and I went to, I finished college at a local school near me because I needed, I needed my mom. <laughs> yeah,
1: I I feel that so much. Everything you were saying, I was just like nodding along to because I was at college for a week and it was slightly different for me where I felt like going to college took less responsibility for me because I was just used you know, I, I grew up differently than a lot of people where, you know, my mom passed when I was young. So from the age of like 11, you know, I was cooking all of our meals and doing the laundry and taking care of the dog and taking care of my brother. And, you know, not because my dad wasn't doing it, but because I needed that control. I needed to control everything around me, including myself. And so when I went to college, it, it was the opposite of, I was like, uh, where's my kitchen? I can't sweep my room. Like I can't do laundry. Like what the hell? And <laughs> it was like so weird. Shock. <laughs> yeah. It was so reverse. And, um, but then, you know, what I noticed when I was there and I was preparing to leave because I knew it just, I was like, this isn't for me right now. I couldn't stop noticing how bad the diet culture was. And I was recovering during that time, I was starting to realize I had orthorexia. So I had quit the exercise addiction and everything, but I was just so obsessed with everything clean, 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 you know, and I I still was just obsessed with exercise. I wasn't overdoing it, but, you know, it was just in a bad mental spot. And all of a sudden I started noticing all the like chit chat, you know, going around you constantly of, you know, this girl here is saying like, she's so hungry because she hasn't eaten. And, you know, like, it's like, noon and she hasn't eaten anything yet. And I'm like, girl, I was hungry at 7 a.m. Like yeah. And, you know, then the girl saying they like they're gonna skip dinner because they didn't get to the gym or they didn't get to the gym so they can't, you know, like go do this. And it just it was like surrounding me, you know, and I just thought to myself, I just I don't think I could be here anyway. This is too much stimulus for those eating disorder thoughts that are still yeah. lingering, you know? And, you know, and I just I don't know I sympathize so bad so much for everyone you know whether you're in college a workplace a house like a, your family friends community and those thoughts and that chit-chatter is around you because I mean it's it's hard to move past something when you've constantly got that culture that diet culture
0: going Do you on around that? you social media also contributed to it like just that we are constantly fed other people's opinions and it's a comparison game of like, Oh, well, she looks like this and she eats this way. So I should eat this way. And mm-hmm. Do you think that social media like added to that?
1: <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm sick. My throat was like, um, <laughs> but yeah, because, you know, for instance, my roommate at the one point pulled up these cookies she wanted us to make, And it was someone who tracks like all their macros. So the cookies were super low calorie. They were low carb. They had like three ingredients. And I was like, those probably taste like shit. I'm not making them. (laughs) And it's just and like the person's page was all diet culture and college, you know, like how to make all these low calorie foods that probably don't taste like shit, won't satiate you. And like, and then, you know, just, yeah, people going on social media and like you said, comparing yourself because you go on and you see the best version of these big influential people. And you think like, oh, well, they can do it. I can too. And the reality is sometimes your body is just not meant to look that way. (laughs) Yeah, I, I definitely feel that.
0: And I kind of fell into that trap that also, I would say, catapulted me way further into my eating disorder because when I started having those eating disorder tendencies, that's when Instagram was like becoming really popular. And we were seeing like the first round of influencers. And I don't know if you know what this is. Have you ever heard of the 80-10-10 vegan diet? Mm -mm. Okay. So (laughs) this, this girl, Lonnie Jane, who i still follow because I love her recipes, but I don't follow the way that she eats anymore. I followed it like way to a T. I don't even think she eats the way that that she was preaching a few years ago anymore either, but it's basically raw vegan. Um, And so it's 80% carbs, 10% fat, 10% protein, all raw vegan. And so I'm like, well, if I want to be healthy, I need to be eating vegan. And I need to be eating mostly fruits and vegetables and like I stopped eating peanut butter I Stopped eating potatoes and like all these things that I used to like um Because I was following all these girls now who were 80 10 10 or it was called raw till 4 So you eat raw vegan and then at dinner you can have a cooked meal and I set these rules and slowly and slowly, everything was cut out through my diet. I can't eat that. I can't eat that. And it just became, I was literally only eating smoothies. And then at night I'd have like some stir-fry vegetables and that was it. I they weren't smoothies with like protein in it. It was literally like two frozen bananas, some frozen strawberries and some spinach. And like, that was it. There was no nutrition besides fruit fruits great for you but like your body needs like especially as girls like we do need fat and I lost my period from oh my god I probably like four years like I and I didn't care like because I just wanted to be vegan and eat raw and just look a certain way and control myself a certain way like and it wasn't until I got older that I started being like okay. This is not good. You don't look good like this. You look sick. And you're never gonna be able to have a family if you continue down this path. And that's honestly, that is what pulled me out of it. And that wasn't until very recently that, you know, I found a lot of ways to like mask it and to pour my eating disorder into another way that nobody would know. And maybe I didn't even recognize was an eating disorder. Until I literally, like, now I'm pregnant and, like, I cannot, for the sake of, like, the baby inside of me, like, I cannot be strict anymore and, like, have these crazy rules. And I honestly, I don't follow a lot of pregnant women on social media for the reason that when I was in college, I followed all these people I wanted to aspire to be like, and it made me unhealthy. Like, you know what? Like, you're pregnant and you eat that. Good for you. I'm going to stay in my lane. No,
1: It's so... Important and I mean, going back to what you said before, even about you know, something like smoothies, it's crazy how you know we'll think we're just doing something to be healthy, and it's not necessarily like I want to lose weight or I want to do this. And you know, for me, it was two years ago, I started making smoothies, but like you, it was you know, like ice, spinach, and like some fruit, and it's like, oh wow. Like, that's doing nothing. You know, I'm not chewing. So, I'm not creating digestive enzymes. My body's probably not actually absorbing all the nutrients. Didn't taste good half the time. And, you know, (laughs) now it's like my smoothie bowls have, you know, like roasted sweet potato and lots of fruit. And they do have vegetables, but they have flaxseed and peanut butter. And then I pop it with like so much more stuff. And sometimes, oh, it's like, yeah. And it's so it's like, I don't know. It's crazy how our perception, you know, shifts from when you think like oh that's healthy to once you kind of get on the other side and you can see I don't know like it just kind of naturally comes how to build a balanced meal you know even when I make like bowl food it's just like natural now to include everything you know whereas before it was very structured of like you know only adding x amount of this and x amount of that now it's just kind of like toss it in there and go but
0: And I think that also like going along with the whole social media thing, it's like when someone finds a diet that helps them lose weight, they start preaching it and then other people start following it. And there are all these different kinds of diet plans you can do where you cut this or you cut that, or you only eat at this time of day. And it's like, those might work short term, but long term, like, at least for me, I'm not going to speak for everybody else, but for me, like long-term, I was more unhealthy in that time frame than I've ever been in my life, even though I was eating the cleanest food. I wasn't giving my body everything it needed. I was only giving my body some of what it needed. And it was totally fueled by, well, she's doing that and she looks healthy, so I'm going to keep doing it, you know? Yeah, I,
1: I get that completely. And what you said there, um, it just like hit home. Cause I know for me, another big moment was when I realized, you know, it was when I was starting, I was, I think it was the year my hep C got triggered. So I was feeling, I mean, I, I felt like death, <laughs> I felt like death in part, like so horrible. Yeah. I was eating so quote unquote, clean and healthy. And the one day my friend was sitting there eating her like French fries and chicken nuggets like she she does not care at all for like she just eats to eat and she's like yeah you know it's kind of ironic that you feel like this and you eat so healthy and I feel fine and I'm eating like this and she didn't mean it in a mean way she's just very blunt like that and it hit home like never before because I realized in that moment holy shit she's right and I I still remember that moment to today because I'll I'll recall that sometimes. And I feel like the obsessive thoughts coming back. I'm like, yeah, no, 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 no. Like look around you, look at how these people are eating and look at how healthy and happy and vibrant they are. And it's because they're not obsessing over this health and clean eating like like I am or I was. So I think that is also like crucial. Kind of like find someone who shows you what happy, healthy, balanced living actually looks
0: like. Yeah, and you do need that person in your life who's going to ground you. It's kind of like when you go through disordered eating, you almost are wearing these blinders on both sides of your eyes, and all you can see is ahead of you and like what's on your plate and the person that you're trying to replicate because they're so healthy and all these messages, and you're only looking at those types of messages and not the bigger picture. And then you need that person to just rip those blinders off and be like, open your eyes and look around the room. Like, look at how you feel. Look at how everyone else feels. There are other ways to be healthy and happy than having a plate that only has spinach and carrots on it, you know? Exactly. I totally, I totally get what you're saying.
1: I love it. Well, I we we sort of lost the anxiety <laughs> ways back. But when you mentioned that was another thing I did want to get back to is you mentioned you are a mom now. You're yeah. pregnant and you are the cutest mom.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so how I'm curious, like how has anxiety been for you in adult life? You know, whether it was before you were pregnant, now, wherever you want to explain it, I'm just curious, you know, how. How does it come up for you, modern, like in the present day? And how do you deal with it? What are your coping mechanisms now that you're much older and have years of experience with this as well?
0: Um, I think it really does. It's so cliche to say, but like you kind of go through seasons of your life. So my eating disorder season of my life, like I, instead of clasping a bracelet and using that nervous energy in that way, I was like, well, I'm gonna control everything around me so I can't feel anxious, which didn't work, obviously. But <laughs> now that I am older and I've gone through it and I have different perspective and I wanna be a mom, I now I am a mom, um, it's been hard to like find another way to cope with my anxiety because a lot of times through my journey of recovery, I'll get to a really good restored weight. And then something will just trigger me again. And I'm like, I got to cut down again. And now that I'm pregnant, I literally can't do that. And when you're pregnant, your hormones are raging, you have more anxiety to begin with. So I actually have started to go back to my therapist. And I find that just even if I didn't have an anxious moment in my week where I felt like I'm gonna have an anxiety attack. Just going and talking about everything with somebody who is an unbiased person in your life, it's just so cathartic. Like, I don't have to say I was anxious about this this week. I can just talk about everything that's going on in my week because usually when I hold everything in, it bottles and bottles and bottles, and then it becomes unhealthy, and then I turn to coping mechanisms like disordered eating to try to level it out and focus on something else. So really, honestly, in my adult life, I've almost reverted back to being a child, like just needing that person once a week to talk to you and get everything off of my chest, just lift it all out of me, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I don't think,
1: you know, you said you like reverted, reverted to your child self. It's more so like you've just realized, you know, I think as children, we're so intuitive as to what feels good. We don't question things as much. We just kind of go with what feels good, what doesn't. And when you were a kid, therapy felt good. And now it's like, you're reconnecting to that intuitive nature of, I just need to talk to somebody. And more importantly, I need to talk to somebody who is giving me their full attention, not my brother or my dad or in your maybe like your husband or a friend who's paying attention, but at the same time, they have their own thoughts, their own bias, like they're, they have a time limit. You know what I mean? So it's having that devoted time, someone who's going to listen, you know, not judge you, not biased and to just get it out there. Like when you speak words, you are, you're setting yourself free. You're putting it out there into the world and you have to face your own shit when you say it out loud. Like it's, it's just what happens.
0: You know, that also reminds me of what you said, how your friend opened your eyes that one day. A therapist for me mostly has been someone who challenges those thoughts. So your friend challenged your idea of what healthy is and what happiness is. And my therapist is always He lets me talk and then he'll just ask me, it's like he asked me one question and everything I just said is challenged. I'm like, wow, I don't know. I didn't consider that. You know, he just offers that other perspective that you have, maybe you, maybe you don't, you haven't seen that perspective yet. Maybe you sort of have, but you needed someone else outside of you to point out that perspective and validate that perspective
1: completely. No, yeah, it's I've had that experience a few times too. I'm just starting EMDR therapy after I was diagnosed with like practically PTSD. It's like, okay, maybe it's time I actually do some therapy here. That is <laughs> awesome.
0: I learned a little bit about that in my major cuz I was a psychology major, but I would love to hear your thoughts on it.
1: On the EMDR? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's neat. So I don't know how everybody does it. The woman I go to is a little she she seems like a, I don't know, she's just very kind of like scatterbrained, but probably because she's just going through so much, you know. So she seems yeah. very nice and everything, but I don't know if, you know, her techniques are like everybody's. But so the first time I did it, I held, you know, a kind of like a vibrating thing in each hand. Mm-hmm. And I think that's supposed to stimulate both sides of the brain because the idea that she explained to me is that when we go through a trauma, we create these narratives in our head because you have to be able to talk about it without crying. So for me, you know, it was like, God, I was 10 years old when my mom died. So for 10 years, nine years now, every time I've had someone ask me what my mom does or like, where's your mom? Like every time I had to say the words like she's deceased and Mm -hmm. it gets to a point like you have to protect yourself when you're a kid that small from crying. And you know, after her, it was my aunt. And there was just these other little things where it's like you build a narrative and you have to protect yourself. So by having the vibrating things and like holding one in each hand, it's supposed to activate both sides of the brain and just really bring up everything that happens. So then what you do is, at least in my session, we decided like four or five of my major traumas in life and then we would work through them. So for instance, the one where my aunt died, she was like a second mom to me and I had never processed that. It's still kind of raw. It was only like three years ago. And so I start talking and I had my eyes closed. And I mean, the best way I can explain it is it's almost like a meditative state, at least for me, because I'm pretty good at visualization. I'm very eloquent with my speech. And so when I started telling the story of my aunt and I and then her death, I mean, it was afterwards my therapist told me she's like that was like one of the most beautiful like truth but narratives I've ever heard like so what I did was I painted I could feel the vibrations and it was just like my brain was flickering you know I was speaking Mm -hmm. the words I was picturing her and everything I was discussing so it created this immersion where it felt like I was there again so the idea is like you're living through it so it was like I felt like I I'd suddenly be smiling, as I described how she dressed and the way, you know, we always did this and that together. And then, you know, when it got to the hard parts, when she was getting sick and dying, I, I started, you know, like shaking and just almost, it felt like purging. It felt like, right. like this, this thing you don't want to let go because you've built up all these walls and suddenly like you've got the vibrating things, your brain's fully activated and it's just spilling out of you. And it it literally, like my body was, you know, physically reacting to my words and like purging the memory from me. And afterwards, I just, when it was done, I just sat there in silence and I could feel my breathing. And I have never felt that sense of calm before. It was unlike anything I've ever experienced. Like I said, it just felt like everything was out of me. It felt like I, you know, I had to choke it up and then it was just out. And, you know, even to the day when I think of that experience, I just feel calm. You know, I don't feel the typical emotions bottling up about my aunt. So it is very powerful. I know that was kind of a long explanation, but it's a very amazing. Yeah.
0: And I think how you felt like you felt like a release anxiety is so heavy and it just weighs you down and when you release it you feel euphoric like you feel like oh my god like i can walk again i can breathe again like and you it's almost like a kid who doesn't know that they need glasses but then they get glasses and they're like oh, like this is what this is what the chalkboard's supposed to look like you know what i mean like all of a sudden you're almost like reborn, you're reawoken. And I mean, I just have to say that with all that you've been through, like what helps me get through my anxiety and what I hope would help you is that you've been through a lot and you've been through things that other people have been through and couldn't get through something. Some people may have taken their own life. Some people may turn to drugs. Some people may just kind of revert inside themselves and just shut down and you've not only like powered through, but now you have this platform where you're helping so many other people. It's like you've taken this thing that could have taken you down and you've learned from it and you're spreading your own heart to other people and what you've learned like that takes such strength. Well, thank you.
1: And I will say it's, you know, I, I think everybody has the opportunity to do what I'm trying to do. You know, it's, I always say, don't be afraid to fall to your knees. If, it, if you know, if life gets too heavy to stand, fall to your knees, but make sure you get back up. And, yeah. you know, I, I felt like I was on my knees, just deserted, hopeless for so many years. And it wasn't until the last two years that I started to feel that hope again. And I felt like I was able to stand up and now I'm taking my stand quote unquote you know and just trying to do what nobody did for me all those years because it's it sucks <laughs> it sucks when you're when you're stuck down there so i i appreciate you saying that and i appreciate you sharing all of this because you know everything you've been saying is going to relate to so many people and just give them that sense of oh yeah i've been there and oh yeah she got through it i can too so i Thank you as well for coming on.
0: <laughs> oh, I love I loved talking to you.
1: <laughs> I did want to ask, though, you know, for anyone who is relating to this and they're feeling maybe they already knew they had anxiety. Maybe it's starting to dawn on them like, hmm, maybe that's that feeling I've been having. Where do you suggest they start? Is there a resource they could maybe learn more about it? Do you suggest, you know, they start therapy, discuss it with somebody? What would you say?
0: I would say the best place to start is really to just. The first thing you need to do is when you're starting to feel this like weird emotion, sit with it. Why am I feeling this way? Did something just happen that triggered it? What exactly am I feeling? Like, am I feeling like I can't breathe? You know, like, what are all my symptoms? So you can kind of sort through it in your head because there are so many different types of anxiety and. Anxiety can be comorbid with OCD. Maybe you have more OCD than anxiety. And maybe you need to see a cognitive behavioral therapist. You know, there are so many avenues you can take. So if you can really just sit with yourself and say, what am I experiencing right now? And then start doing research. I know that there are, there are definitely some free resources. I know in college, if you're a college student, there are free resources on campus. Don't quote me if there are free resources when you're out of college because I'm not sure about that. But the next step would be, okay, who, call my insurance. Who does my insurance take? From there, call those people. And it's like an interview. Interview the therapist that you're going to be with. Do you click with them? Do you like the way that they sound when they talk to you? You know, this is the person who you're going to be burying your soul to. You know, you need to feel so comfortable And once you find that person, stay with them for, don't, don't quit. I think in the beginning, it's really hard because you're going to be talking about things that you probably don't want to talk about. And you're going to say, oh, therapy sucks. I can't do this. It causes anxiety. But really what you're experiencing is the purging process of it. If you can get through those first, maybe one or two months of going to therapy, you will start seeing results. It's kind of like if you wanted to go to the gym and build muscle, you're not going to go to the gym and lift one weight and have huge biceps. you know. It's consistency. So I would say if you go to your therapist and you still don't like them after a month or two, okay, find a new therapist, but don't quit on therapy because it will be the best thing for you.
1: I love that. And I I think, you know, I agree with you. It's, you kind of need to make it a habit you know get into that habitual state of you know going 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 until maybe the flip the switch flips and suddenly you want to go you know because you know how good you might feel yeah. afterwards like that. is there are there any lifestyle like things you've kind of you know come to do learn about that help manage anxiety or just you know kind of soothe it when it does pop up
0: I've always been a big writer. I'm in the middle of writing a book, but even if you're not like writing a book and writing isn't like your favorite thing to do, find some sort of artistic outlet that you can just, sometimes when I'm just really, really anxious, I'll just write about it or I'll write about something fictional that kind of relates to how I'm feeling. And it's that release, you feel this like purge, you've let it out on paper, or maybe you're a dancer, you've put it on the dance floor or you want to go on and hike and just be with nature. I think really just doing something that gets your thoughts out of you and grounds you is the best way is the best free way to do it. <laughs> it doesn't cost any money to pick up a pencil or type on your computer or go for a walk. And I know that those are like so cliche and, Oh, I already know that. But I think people dismiss the cliche things because they just think, everyone says it and it doesn't work. But if you find something you like, you know, you might have to go through a few of them. Maybe you don't like painting. Maybe you like writing. Maybe you don't like that. Maybe you like dancing, like whatever it is, like stick with that and see it through. You know, every time you feel that anxiety, try using that creative outlet in the moment and see what happens over the course of time. I want to bet that you will start feeling better because those emotions and that nervous energy won't just sit in your chest anymore. It will sit somewhere else outside of you.
1: It's so true. I mean, just don't judge anything as cliche until you try it. Because the reason things might be marked as cliche is because we hear it so much because it works for so many people. I mean, it just, it's as simple as that. Like walking is magic for me. So don't write it as cliche until you. I mean, just try it. Maybe then you see it. One of those things you mentioned, all fantastic ways. I definitely think creativity is a wonderful way, like you said, to ground yourself. And like just yeah, everything you say, I <laughs> absolutely love it. Like that's exactly what I would say. And don't judge things as cliche.
0: Yes, I'm. I like say that all the time. Actually, like it's cliche for a reason. <laughs> because it works (laughs) exactly exactly that needs to be the
1: new (laughs) new thing well what's is your book going to be like is it a book you're writing for yourself or is it a book that you hope to publish and put out there for somebody to relate to and get something from
0: um i definitely hope that one day it's published it's a fiction novel and it does go along with the whole like The girl who's the main character and the guy who's the main character, they have their own issues that have followed them, I guess, to their adulthood. So it might not be what I've experienced, but it is cathartic for me to write it because just because I have this experience doesn't mean someone else has anxiety with the same experience. You know, we all come from different places and we all have baggage. And that's basically what this story is. Is like, we all have baggage and we can't run from it. Eventually we have to face it. I love that. And I, I feel
1: you. I've written many uh, novel no, novels, novellas that will never see the light of day. But in the moment they were very transformative. Because you, yeah. I don't know, at least for me, I definitely, it was one of those things where I'd write something out and suddenly be like, oh, where did I get that from? My own life. <laughs> like yeah, I've got something like, to work on here.
0: <laughs> that you learn through what you're writing. You learn through your own art. Yep. A hundred percent. Well,
1: where can people find you to just keep updated on life and get your
0: wise little snippets of
1: inspiration?
0: So on Instagram, I am at underscore Sammy Brooke and Sammy is spelled S-A-M-M-I. And then I also have a blog, it's called 20s in Turmoil, and which also just goes along with the whole anxiety thing. And especially in your 20s, we, we just experience all these transformations, and it can be a lot. And you can feel like you're in turmoil, but you don't have to be in turmoil by yourself. You can come here and you can read the anonymous turmoilers where people have submitted their own stories of things that they've been going through in their 20s. And I also have recipes on there, and I have some interviews with people, and it all kind of relates back to being in your 20s, being in turmoil, anxiety, all of that stuff. So check it out.
1: <laughs> yes, definitely. I I love it. I was on it just the other day when we were planning, <laughs> planning for the date for this interview, and it's just you have such a wide variety. Like you said, it's not just you have the anonymous, you have the interviews, you do have the recipes, and it's just a fun site, like keep it bookmarked and then you, yeah. <laughs> you can keep yourself updated <laughs> on it. <laughs> well, for the last two, we'll, we'll do the, the one rapid fire that I think you'll, I think it'll just be important for people to hear. So what is okay. one piece of advice that if you could, you would just scream
0: it from the rooftops for all to hear? Ooh, I would say... This is hard. (laughs) You can think on it. I I would say nothing is shameful. Nothing you feel is shameful. And what you feel is valid, and you're not bizarre or strange or alone in that thought either. So, you know, accept those feelings and do something about them instead of pushing them down and feeling ashamed by them. No one's ever said that, but I really love that. I love that a lot. Well, thank you so much for coming (laughs) on. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on. And I just know so many people
0: are going to relate to this. I had so much fun. I feel like I know you already. (laughs) That's what Instagram does. (laughs)
1: Well, I hope you guys got as much from that as I did. Like I said, truly a multifaceted, all over but in a good way, episode that hit so many important topics. I just truly hope you enjoyed, and I wanted to read a review of the week. This one is titled Love, 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 Five Stars by Emily Noel43. Okay, you know what? There are a lot of Emily's that listen to this show, and I am fascinated by this because there just aren't that many Emily's around me, yet I swear. Like, every day, there's Emily's popping up on my Instagram and the podcast. And so, if your name is Emily and you are listening, like, maybe go leave a review and let me know. We'll connect over our name. Or find me on Instagram. Let's connect. I love finding other Emily's to connect with. I just think that is so neat. Like, how often do you find someone with the same name as you? Well, actually, for me, it's quite often because Emily was, like, a baby boom name but onward to her <laughs> lovely review it says I'm a fairly new listener and follower of your Instagram but I love this podcast. I listen when I'm walking in between classes and love how relaxed I feel while listening and afterwards The guests are so real and Emily always seems to connect something in her life to what they're saying I I'm sorry guys I have to interject I I'm like let me know if I'm too obnoxious with like connecting to the guest's life I just like to do that because I feel like it shows the relatability but I don't want to come off as one of those people that's like oh me too me too me too like please give me attention like no that is not my intention I want to show you that like this is how I relate to their story so this is how you can relate to their story and this is how we can all like relate together in a community sense back to the reveal (laughs) Emily is so open-minded when it comes to when it comes to learning new things from her guests, and this show shows that everyone is connected in some way. You just have to get to know one another. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, Emily Noel, 43 I appreciate that, and I promise that the next review will not be from an Emily, but you guys have to get out there and leave those reviews. <laughs> I appreciate you all so much. Thank you for listening, thank you for supporting, and thank you for rating and reviewing if you are. Until next week... Oh, well, and find, obviously, you can find me on Instagram at thrive underscore on life and today's wonderful guest, Sammy, at underscore Sammy Brooke. Enjoy.